Welcome to the Sunrise Podcast, powered by Sunrise Labs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making Bright Ideas Work, a podcast by Sunrise Labs. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the program. Today, we're talking about leveraging local resources with global networks. What does that mean, local to global? We're going to talk all about it with our two subject matter experts today. We have Chuck Smith, the principal mechanical engineer at Sunrise Labs with us. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it as well. And we're also joined by Doug Brown, Director of Mechanical Engineering and Design Transfer at Sunrise Labs. Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us on board. Well, I am uh, thrilled to have you guys on the show today unpacking this topic. So um, let's just start off here. Introduce us to what it means to leverage local expertise when it comes to medical device development. Um, what does that actually look like in practice? Doug, let me let me toss this to you first. Sure. Sounds great. Thank you. Well, first of all, at Sunrise Labs, one thing I have to say that I enjoy so much at Sunrise Labs is the definition of medical device is so broad and the expertise that you need to bring to developing it is so broad. Uh, And we have customers who have come to us for, you know, three instruments that they wanted to get done. It might be highly complex. We have other customers who have come to us, uh, a wellness device that they were really focused on 700,000 a year. And so that volume spectrum and complexity spectrum between something that's wearable versus something. But one thing at Sunrise, all of our full product development entails electrical integration, circuit boards, software, mechanical. It's not just, we're not designing just, you know, high volume widgets. We're designing complex systems. Mm -hmm. And we know over that, that it's a global economy. It's a global world. In order to meet customers' cost targets, you're going to need to reach out to a wide spectrum of manufacturing base as well as engineering design base. Uh, we're humble enough to know we might not know everything and we want to listen to our vendors. And the one thing we'll just say is that that has worked out really well when we have a local connection that we're working with allows you know people to meet and we're leveraging the global capabilities to their fullest extent. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I was really surprised uh, when I moved to New Hampshire. I, I didn't really stop to think how um, Southern New Hampshire in particular is well within kind of the, the halo of all the tech startups that are spawning out of Boston and MIT and all the other universities there, um, that there is a huge array of, of technical companies within a one-hour drive of uh, Sunrise Labs HQ. There's plasma cuttings, specialty coatings, injection molding. It's, it, it's very – it's surprising how much stuff is hiding in the trees. <laughs> and you know, I have you – know, I've had parts picked up from machine shop in the morning, dropped off at a brazing house in the afternoon, had them picked up the next day and installed on a prototype before lunch, you know, and, you know, all within a very short distance. So I, I think that that's one thing that's, that's very surprising uh, about New Hampshire is that we have all of these resources really close. And I think that that's specific to New Hampshire. Um, and I think a better example of the larger impact of this local to global is one project I was working on with uh, 22 different injection molded parts. It had very thin walls, which can be something difficult to do. I was using an exotic material and I had ultrasonic weld features that were 
about half the size of standard limits. So well outside of the, the normal range that this kind of a thing would be, uh, would be done in. And uh, we ha- I worked with a stateside molder who and partnered with a machine shop in Korea. So the, the molds themselves were made in Korea, were shipped back to the molder here. I stood by the, the injection molding machine while the parts were being run and the process was being tuned, doing fit checks know, every couple hours and until we got a result uh, that would succeed for uh, this hermetically sealed box that I was designing. Uh, and once everything was fine-tuned, these, these same molds then went back to Korea, where we could then mass-produce the parts at, at a much more economical scale. Uh, and the, I, was, I was kind of there the whole time. Uh, and without that molder being here, I would have to trust the, a molder in Korea, and I would have to, um, you know, the even if you're getting overnight, you know, overnight air freight shipping, ev- instead of having that 15 minute cycle on changing a parameter and testing, you know, it would be a day. So yeah. uh, it's it's something that can simultaneously save money and time. That said. Sunrise will ship engineers wherever we need to. Granted, the whole world with COVID right now has been crazy, so it's more difficult. But Chuck is right um, on there. Uh, one aspect that's been great for Sunrise is, you know, if we're able to have both the instrument and the consumable, then as you're looking at the critical features and trade-offs, you can sometimes, you know, trade off where is the most cost-effective area. It's often, you know, you want to keep the consumable as low a cost as possible. So the whole DFX, design for manufacturing, design for manufacturing assembly, design for serviceability, in a ISO 13485 environment is key. Uh, but we want, as Chuck says, you want the engineers to be able to debate all the trade-offs. And um, that happens the world around globally. It is easier if you're able to tap local expertise. And so far, Chuck and I have been talking a lot on the manufacturing side, but that also goes on the design side. Again, uh, we have about 80-something engineers at Sunrise Labs, 100 employees, but we also have specialists that we reach out to when needed because there are some areas when it gets into the specialty electronics or sterilization of products or uh, we have optics uh, in-house, but certainly in, um, you know, areas like we had a human heart booster that had to go 80 million cycles, getting the reliability of something to that, that specialized to make sure you've got it nailed. There's an area where being able to bring in uh, and having that global connection of experts is huge. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great way of putting it, Doug. And and um and from from what you guys were saying, I, I think it's pretty clear that there are some some benefits that that come out of this process, right? And so I would love to uh, hear more about some of the benefits um, from from what Chuck was saying, just um you know in, in a lot of different areas. But having that collaborative uh, approach and that that ability to collaborate, I think, is one of the benefits. But what are some of the other benefits that can come out of this particular process? I mean, I think I, I've already touched on this briefly before. I think the the biggest benefit um, would one of the big benefits would be for our clients who are startups. You know, some of our our clients are Fortune 500 manufacturers that that have the production line, that have molding in house, that already have you know a great deal of knowledge and vetted resources. So I think one of the the big benefits that that we can offer is for those startups 
that you know we we have we have a lot of the resources already lined up that they don't need they know you know right. that they might be thinking that they wanted to do some injection molding and when we find out they're making 100 units a year uh, that we can come back and say, well, no, injection molding is not a very economical process for that. Let's revisit and do thermoforming. And you know, we can go go a few miles away to the, the thermoformer that, that you know, we have a very good relationship with. So I think that, that that's something that is a, a big help here. Or even 3D printed parts in those volumes. We're seeing more and more uh, firms looking of using additive methods to get to market on there. But the key theme on this, it's faster to market with less iterations on your tooling. And another key aspect where we try to reach out and get the supply chain established and aligned early is to get that real material and real manufacturing process into the clinical units, into testing early. It just really greatly risk reduces the launch. And that that is a key theme across all of this of trying to uh, expand. I think I mentioned at the beginning of this, Sunrise Labs is a design firm. We're 1345 qualified. We deliberately are not a contract manufacturer ourselves. We can do clinical builds, but we will not. We are not a four volume for sale contract manufacturer because the variety of products coming in, if we were our own contract manufacturer, we would not be tapping that global expertise that we can tap right now and again, as on the theme of this, it boy, it sure works best when there's a local element to that conversation. Yeah, you guys made some some excellent points there on, on that question. And I, I guess I'm curious, what are some of the elements that a strong partner can provide? You know, we, we talked benefits in the previous uh, question, but but when it comes to elements and what a partner actually does, what what are some of those things that they can provide and, and bring to the table? I'm going to do a little bit of a roundabout answer to that. And most of my previous engineering jobs before coming to Sunrise Labs, I'll do a new product every three to four years. Um, and the, the other companies I worked for had manufacturing floors, had production lines. And so after doing the design of the product, I would be involved in, in you know automating the production line, dealing with first batch of RMAs. So there, there's a great deal of engineering support after the design is done. Mm -hmm. Um, At Sunrise Labs, like Doug said, we're not contract, we're not manufacturers, we're not building these things. So, uh, so when the design gets done, we often move on to another project right away. So now I'm working on three or four different devices, three or four different devices every year, which is very exciting. And between the 80 engineers, each working on three to four different products every year, we're getting a vast array of technologies coming at us. And sometimes we're, we're very familiar with, with the technologies, if it's a simple optical system, um, but invariably that something will come along in which we, we just don't know an element of the design. Mm-hmm. For example, thermal properties of... You know, uh, evaporating uh, evaporating fluids and with uh, biological fluids evaporating. It's, you know, it's like, no, I never studied the process of, you know, of, you know, blood plasma evaporating in college. There will always be something, you know, with those 80 engineers, three to four products a year, there will be some element that comes along that we just don't know. Uh, and so that's where it's very important 
to have those partners, to have, you know, fluid dynamics, you know, fluid dynamics experts who like, that's all they do day in and day out. And, you know, and we have those contacts, you know, another example where I had a a very, very complex, very large welded frame. uh, And I sat down uh, with, I sat down with the engineer at the, uh, at the welding house. And we side by side, looking at the CAD model, he, he would go through and say, and he would show me the fixturing method that he was going to use to set this up. And being able to do that, being able to be right there with him, you know, we were able to say, oh, well, if this is a problem for your fixture, if I move this bar over half an inch, it does nothing to my design, but it eliminates one of the fixtures. And you can negotiate an improvement to the manufacturability to, to save, you know, 10, 20, 30% of the cost of making some of these more complex components. And, you know, there are a lot of companies um, that you can go to nowadays where you can upload a CAD file and click a button, get a computer-generated quote, and, um, and order something. And those services will not give you that interaction uh, that I'm talking about, that that you know you will be paying more for what is potentially a, a less functional part than by being able to interact with the people who are going to be doing that construction you know, you know sometimes it's an engineer sometimes it's the the welder themselves who's been doing this you know longer than i've been alive and i have to respect that expertise and you know uh, be 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 willing to admit that i can learn from that hmm. To add to what Chuck is saying, we've had a lot of projects that were global in nature as well as it. There's also, and this gets, you know, tricky to recognize, there are cultural aspects. Many um, of our providers that we've been with for years who are local will tell you very openly, oh, we don't think you should go that way. Here, we suggest this. Uh, This better fits our process. There's definitely cultures uh, when we're dealing with the offshores you have to be careful that they, they don't want to offend. They're more hesitant to tell you you're wrong, and we want partners that it's okay. Absolutely. I've settled this by going out after work in China and having a drink with the engineer working with his <laughs> boss and saying, please, if you have an idea and you think I'm on the wrong track, please you know, put that on the table and tell me. You're not, not insulting me at all. I, I respect your input because they're such industrious people and they've seen so much we want to build off of this and they bring a different viewpoint uh to it so recognizing that and leveraging that uh helps us immensely but yeah all our partner firms and partners we work with nicely challenge us yes and that that's whenever whenever i start working with a new uh, a new vendor you know, I, I try to always have the opening line of tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what's mm-hmm. tell me what could be done better. Tell me what's, you know, going to, to co- what can I do to make this better? And I, I think a little bit of humility and and like Doug was talking about, kind of coaxing the, the, the honest feedback out of these people is, you know, there, there are some vendors who don't want to say don't want to say anything bad for fear of hurting the pride of the engineer for fear of losing the purchase order uh, if they're too aggressive uh, with um, with criticism. And uh, I, I think that that everyone working at Sunrise is is more than more than comfortable uh, with being told how to do something better. 
That's a really great point, and I love that that cultural uh, that cultural aspect that you, that you brought into the the answer, Doug, uh, because I do think that that is so crucial. Just understanding how to best communicate with people, and uh, and we also learned that that, that Chuck missed uh, blood plasma evaporation day. Uh, at <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> missed that class for some reason. Uh, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> just kidding, just just messing with you, Chuck. But uh, but you know that 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 really is an interesting impact, and it kind of dovetails nicely into what I wanted to to talk to you guys about next, and that was. Um, just how you how to make sure that you're forming a um, a collaborative partnership across uh, across every aspect of a project uh, because that communication aspect like you brought in Doug is so so important. So how do you make sure that everyone catches the vision for the final product and, and is on the same page throughout the uh, the duration of a project? Well, I was going to say it starts early in product development. We work with our customers to identify the supply chain and the top tier contract manufacturers early as we can. Some wait late in the project, but most work with us to get that identified, even if that contract manufacturer is just joining us during the alpha design to join in design reviews and seeing and, and contributing from there and aware of what's going on. You know, a key question we try and work with our customer front is, is this a fairly complex mechanical system and the in-process testing is really going to drive the need? Is it a complex electrical system and all of the you know, electrical processing and testing needs are going to drive. Is it sterile? Does the part have to be sterile and made in a clean room? You know, how does that come into play? All these factors, no one vendor can meet everything. So it's a matter of trying those trade-offs, getting it aligned early for them on there, um, and understanding what our customers need helps us select that we have the right vision for this product and how it's made. Volume comes in in COGS. COGS, the cost of goods sold, has to be on the forefront of every engineer, every minute of every day, uh, if we're going to meet that target on there. And that will affect the vendors. Is that in the right way? And are we bringing it to a finished box goods? And therefore, and, and the customer may have other needs from distribution and repair on there. It's a complex dance, but it's one you want to get aligned early so that those f strong partnerships. And, and the other thing that's really nice, we have some partner firms we have worked with forever in a day. The path is so well worn. We know how to trade bombs into their format, bill of materials. We know how to have it real time. So they're seeing the bill of material real time. We have um, a shared PDM system or a CAD system so that the contract manufacturer can see real-time what's going on. So it allows us to bring the manufacturing partners in earlier or design specialty partners in earlier. But that's the goal is to get their expertise into the mix while the design is still fluid. And that can be inherently messy because it means things aren't defined yet and requirements may still be changing. But in the end, it works best. And I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here because Doug just reminded me of something. Um, I, I have a soft spot for the, the startup clients that we have who are bringing into the world entirely new technologies, entirely new therapies, um, you know, new diagnostic methods. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that I find really satisfying is is moving what was previously hospital equipment into the home environment. And so when these startup companies are trying that, doing all of this, there's a lot of tangential things that they're going to need that we know they don't know, kind of to turn that around, and that Sunrise is very happy to provide services 
things like focus groups, uh, human factors, you know, evaluation, industrial design, manuals, packaging, you know, kind of all of those things are services that, you know, we know people who do that or, or we do it, our, do it ourselves. In regard to how we uh, make a good connection with the clients to ensure that the work we're doing kind of meets their vision and, and their goal and how to really make sure that we're moving in lockstep on that. Uh, we implement agile systems on a lot of these projects. We'll have daily meetings, brief daily meetings to keep the client informed of what are our key achievements, what are the key blockers that we have, what are the, the next critical objectives that we have. We will absolutely make sure um, at very early on in the project, one of the first things that the, the Sunrise staff will do is look at the system, look at the application and present to the client, what are the risks? The risk may be schedule, the risk may be technical, the risk may be an unrealistic cost target, but we don't go plowing ahead to a finished design until the customer and Sunrise are in agreement as to what those crucial risks are. Um, we also have a, uh, a phased gate process where we'll have formal meetings and approvals at various points throughout the, the design and, and production transfer process to make sure that we're continuing to aim at the right target. Some of the, the clients that come to us will come to us with only a concept, not even a benchtop prototype. I'm working on something right now that we're developing the very first physical instantiation uh, of a novel anesthetic device. And absolutely, when you're doing that, when you're building something that has never been built before, you're going to find out things in the design process and fabrication process um, that the, that customer didn't know about. So you are absolutely going to need to change what it is you're aiming at. And so we will, we have a formal requirements database that, that gets updated and, and gets put in front of the, the customer and formally approved at each of these, each of these gates, you know, to make sure that, that we are tracking on the things that we consider the most important for that product. You know, we might not be quite so, quite so um, attentive to exactly what Pantone color, you know, the, is going to be on the box or you know exactly what cosmetic texture will be put on a bezel, but the, those risky things and the, the key requirements, you know, we'll absolutely keep track of those and and keep them in front of ourselves and in front of the customer. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, the. One of the things about this process is that the, the first prototypes can actually be built while the learning and, and all of this sort of thing is still taking place. How does that benefit the overall process when uh, when you're able to, to get that done early? Uh, tell me a little bit more about that and why that's beneficial, Doug. Well, clearly, as you say, you want to learn early. Mm -hmm. You want to make your discovery early. You want to iterate early and fast. Uh, I give all my engineers mulligans and we proudly put on the table each week what went wrong and what did we learn because it is a learning process to uh, get a device to work. That helps identify if there's expertise that needs to be brought to bear. It helps identify early what manufacturing challenges lay ahead and therefore we can start talking early who will be best to go make something but we want to learn early discover early break things early that that's part of our core culture at sunrise uh, because ultimately the sooner we get to the real materials and the real electronics 
in there, we're able to really de-risk the project before we enter in where there's been large capital expenditures. We have a 3D printing farm uh, and laser cutter that all are engine and milling machines and classic subtractive, as well as partners to make uh, local partners to make circuit boards quick and rapid because it is a key point. And that is probably one of the best fortes of Sunrise is the ability to get a prototype in front of the customer fast. We will never beat one for one of my favorite projects and favorite clients where uh, one of my really strong mecha our strong mechatronics engineers was going to go to Poland for vacation. So I had him get a prototype done for the kickoff meeting. And kudos to uh, our, our president, Eric Soderberg, for letting us do that at risk before the kickoff meeting. It has set a precedent we can't often match of having a prototype at the kickoff meeting. But that allowed us to learn early. And that has really become a core culture is hit the design hard first early with a lot of different core ideas and, and be able to show and teeth out because it is a learning process. Our engineers get tired of us hearing us say this. If you want to do analysis, design, build, test. You want to do the right amount of analysis. You want to design it and get into CAD. You don't want to get into CAD too quickly. You want to build it as quickly as you can, test it, and that testing will tell you what you should have analyzed more to begin with. Now do it again. And uh, a few spins through that cycle, and you've pretty well got all the teething worked out. Now it's ready to get it ready to bring in the contract manufacturers. Okay, so I think I want to do a little bit bragging uh, about Tomek, who is the the mechatronics specialist uh, at at Sunrise that that Doug was just referring to. We found out that after that uh, initial the initial kickoff meeting for that project, where we showed them a functional prototype, the team at our clients in their main meeting room at their offices wrote at the, across the top of the whiteboard in big bold letters, "What would Tomek do?" So they adopted one of our engineers as, as their kind of mascot of inspiration and engineering. Mm, good point. And I think, you know, I, I said earlier that design is almost always a, a moving target. And, and Doug was talking about de-risking the project by, you know, establishing, you know, establishing the functionality of, of some key elements. And that de-risking um, does something that uh, a lot of clients are very keen on, at which it removes variability from the schedule. That we have, you know, we can provide a, a much clearer idea of when things will be done and out the door. And, and that makes uh, a lot of our clients very happy to know that. Uh, I have a, a couple examples of some early prototypes that, that, that came to mind. We were going to be building a, a $50,000 prototype uh, of a uh, refrigerator-sized piece of lab equipment that was going to have a, a lot of different touch points that the operator would have to go through, high and, and, and low. And um, you know, before any designer sat down and started doing that 3D CAD model that was going to contain all the complex components, Doug Brown over there, uh, he grabbed some, grabbed some tape, put it up on the wall, outlined the device, and started putting his best guess for things would go. And we would have a short person come in and, and try to make sure they could comfortably reach the top. We had a tall person come in and make sure they could comfortably reach the bottom. You know, uh, we found out that eh, the original layout Doug came, out with, came up with wasn't quite right, so we moved things around. And before any real engineering design had happened before any models were there, we already knew one element 
of the device was going to be successful, which was proven later on when we had a physical prototypes and did formative testing. So a $3 piece of tape can be something to get you one of those early prototypes. Um, another another fun example, I, I love solving engineering problems on the cheap. <laughs> we had a, we were designing a pressure vessel and we had a critical to safety sensor in this pressure vessel that we were designing that what was used to prevent 32,000 pounds of force from being generated inside the device. And we ended up spending $100 on a pool filter enclosure that was the same size of our eventual pressure vessel. And we were able to prove the functionality of this critical to safety pressure sensor with that hundred dollar pressure vest, or that hundred dollar pool filter. Wow. The alternative that we did not do was spend ten thousand dollars on a prototype of what we thought the real pressure vessel was, and you know, which takes four weeks to get, and then try the the sensors out. And so we were able to do that cheap solution, proved it worked and able to work into the the real enclosure a couple of minor tweaks that 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 the sensor would require mm-hmm. so we worked that in before we even made that that first pressure that first real pressure vessel so you know the alternative could have been we spend 10,000 wait 4 weeks find out that it doesn't work and have to make changes and wait another 4 weeks and spend another $10,000 uh, and I know that all of the project managers at, at at Sunrise would definitely get pale if I told them I just delayed the project four weeks. So I, th- I think th- those are a couple of fun examples of early prototypes that don't require plasma cutting and you know injection molding that got us real information that was needed for the successful development of the product. I think those were some uh, some really good examples, and uh, and you know we've talked about contract manufacturers a couple of times, so I've kind of been itching to get to this question because when it comes to choosing the correct contract manufacturer, what difference can this make in the long run in the process, and and what are the benefits of choosing the, the right contract manufacturer, Doug? It's huge on the alternate. Sunrise is like throughout our careers, all of us here, most of the products we've designed have made it to market. They must make it to market to be of any good to anyone uh, on there. And the contract manufacturer is key on establishing the right quality, the right cost, the right distribution on there to be able to get it, the right skills on there. And that's why Sunrise partners with uh, several because they're different. We recently brought a um, breast cancer tracking device to market and we used a contract manufacturer as lead contract manufacturer that we know well so first we try and align with their vendor base their aql supply you know i'm sorry their approved supplier list if there's skills that they don't have like in this case the part going into the surgical part going into the body in vitro needed to be sterilized so we worked with another contract manufacturer that we knew that was able to make the sterile part, and then it gets shipped to the top tier contract manufacturer. So having that and having it established where, uh, like in this case, we were working with a molder who was both one of our long-term vendors and their long-term vendors. So the path was well-made. I know their toolmaker designed well. We were able to go through and figure out gates and ejectors and slides and all the details on those to achieve what we need. And I just had the utmost confidence 
in them. So it was really nice that that was a, um, you know, a sub-tier vendor, if you will, who was known to both parties. Mm -hmm. But on the plasma unit that Chuck has mentioned that he was our lead mechanical engineer on and, you know, lots of complex parts on it and, and different assemblies that had to be brought together. That one was heavily mechanically centric and its assembly and then the ability to test it. Whereas on that product, the circuit board was much easier to outsource to someone else. We have other projects where the electronics are the predominant concern, be it, you know, the type of circuitry and the connection and the antenna design and whatever there. And then we'll have contract manufacturers who really are an expert in that area. And the plastic housing might be the part that gets outsourced. Rare is it that the top tier contract manufacturer is doing everything, except for some of the firms we've partnered with who are, you know, the larger CMs and, and the international age ones, they may have everything under one roof. But so it's not just selecting the right CM to be the top tier. It's working with them to get the um, sub tier vendors aligned and aligned quickly. And again, ideally with ones that they already use, so we're not introducing too many new players into the mix. I agree with a lot of what Doug was saying. There's there's a giant list of things that a contract manufacturer um, might need to be able to, to handle to develop the medical products that we're designing. You know, the FDA has very strict requirements on traceability for inventory and, and production lots. Uh, exotic components may have very lengthy lead times that, that require some thoughtful logistics. Uh, being able to rapidly respond to uh, engineering change orders Frequently after a product launch, you're going to find out stuff when your device gets out in the wild. You want to be able to, to change it and document that change and keep track of which device is where or what revision. You know, there might be a clean room requirement. Uh, you might have some sensitive optics that require uh, laser alignment systems, and not every vendor is going to have that. I mean, uh, I'm working on a device right now uh, that uh, requires ultrasonic welding. And you know, we don't want to pick a vendor that has never done ultrasonic welding, a contract manufacturer that has never done ultrasonic welding. Right. Is if something goes wrong on the production line, you want someone familiar with the process who can, you know, without having to stop everything and call up the client and get us involved, that you want people who are informed on the ground at at the manufacturing site who can troubleshoot minor difficulties and, and fix things in a timely fashion to get the production line back up and running. Yeah, that's a. I, I really like how you guys put that, and, and I think you really thoroughly answered that question, and I think that uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, one of the other big benefits is that outsourcing can connect you with an international network of vendors, right? Uh, so, tell us more about that and, and what that and what that process can provide, and what it means to really be connected with that outside world. It's it's that idea that we've been discussing since the beginning, local to global, right? So, tell us about that global aspect and how it can be so beneficial, Doug. Uh, and, and Chuck will add, I'm sure, some color to a recent example he's had on some very large plastic being machined. It's just the international capability brings. So I, I was in Shenzhen, China, transferring a wellness device, a wound healing um, over-the-counter device. I was in Shenzhen, China for three weeks transferring that. So impressed at the industriousness of the people and the management's willingness that to throw a large number of people to solve the problem that while you're there for those three weeks, so more happened in those three weeks because you just couldn't bring that number of tool makers and machinists and assemblers and testers together uh, on there. It took, you know, 
an effort mm-hmm. on there and the willingness to uh, like I say to get done what was needed so the the advantage when something is labor intensive it is hard to beat the ability to bring that many industrious people together at once the area and this is where the boots on the ground of the engineer who knows the product is key is that many people helping all at once can be a little chaotic Uh, and i mentioned the cultural and the communication challenges this is where having someone who is a you know a local if you will interpreter they're working for you know the contract manufacturer or and they're there with you helps immensely uh we had a this a wellness device there were a couple features in the part that were out the management agreed yep we'll fix it tonight here stateside that would have been a welding operation and reforming that feature but because they were able to bring a lot of people to bear they remade the entire core side of the tool Hmm. overnight we're back up again molding the next day that feature looked beautiful all of a sudden features that were in yesterday though elsewhere in the part were now out it took me forever to understand that they had rebuilt half the tool because they had the capability it was not in my mental construct that that was possible because hmm. there is no way you would bring that many resources to bear in a cost-effective way so there is a definite advantage and you just need to be able to utilize that advantage to its fullest and, and, and expect the unexpected that way, that it's, it, it's a different world uh, and they're willing to work. And, you know, like I said, just very industrious and very helpful, uh, willing to you know, offer, say that they can do things that, you know, you know, you really have to challenge back. It's OK to say no. And that's, you know, that I can't get it to you for the morning or tomorrow. It's going to take a few days and go. So, but the ability to have that outsourcing. And so I'll hand it over to Chuck. He can talk about how key containment vessel that he's been mentioning. You had that all machined out of a billet, which was amazing. I'll, I'll come back to that. I want to talk about your story a, a little bit. And I, I think that um, it's, it's a wonderful cautionary tale. I mean, Early in my career, I remember being beaten down by one of the uh, product managers who was desperate to reduce the cost. And I found a uh, it was a uh, it was a Korean company that did an amazing bid on the on the parts, and they they made prototypes and they they sent them off and. Um, the prototypes were great, and we did the big order, and the parts all showed up um, dramatically different. That there was clear that you know there there was not inspection happening that was called out on the drawings, and you know it was a mistake that I have not repeated. That you know a a quote that's too good to be true often is. So I, I think there's a couple of things that that come away from that that you know Sunrise is able to do. Number one, we know the vendors that um, kind of put their money where their mouth is, that will deliver according to print if something is wrong, that they will they will take the, the time to, to correct it and, and do it right. Uh, and I think you also need to have, you know, uh, you know the engineers, you know, at Sunrise who are, are doing this, if it's a big dollar item or if it's critical to function, you know, if Doug hadn't been there overseeing that 
operation and being able to, to find out about that error while he was there and get that corrected, you know, that could have been a, you know, a, a considerably worse outcome. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's very important for this to work. You, you can't just, you know, go online and, and, and get a quote. You need to, you need to know who it is you're working with. And, you know, the, the engineers need to be willing to, you know, put down the mouse and, and walk into the shop, you know, walk into the, walk into the factory. And just adding to that, it's also key, which is, is a lot of times firms will just quote a part, be it a circuit board or a molded person like that. But the devil is in the detail, and that's where the engines need to be. Circuit boards often have panels that hold them in place, and that means mouse bites. And you need to know where, where these little break-off tabs are and where are the test points that they're putting in. In molded parts, you need to know where the cooling lines are and where the ejectors are and where all the features that may have secondary implications on your design are, that requires the right partner overseas to make sure you're seeing all that information. It's best if you can be there, but we do it remote all the time too uh, on there, but it's a matter of finding so it isn't just a black hole that you're sending it over to and then you're getting parts back afterwards. No, I mean, I, I think there, there's an overseas vendor that I like to use a lot that, that when you get an injection mold, you get a weekly report, you get an updated schedule, you get photos of, you know, the molds in progress. You know, you're, you're getting continuous updates um, proactively. You're not having to call them every day to try to, and, you know, your people aren't dodging your calls. You're not getting ghosted. So it's it's knowing who those vendors are a way that you can get the get the advantages without the risks. And I think coming back to that uh, large containment vessel, you know, the the shell that you had machined up out of ABS, uh, I think the first ones were done in Mexico near the U.S. border. And then uh, as we went to a, you know, second iteration and a little bit more refined and stuff like that at a higher volume, you were in Taiwan, if I recall correctly, but all under the same company. So the same engineers and the same expertise, they were just leveraging what equipment they had around the globe to make it. Yeah, I think you got that uh, a couple of details backwards, and this is this is one of my favorite stories uh, of working at Sunrise. Um, so I'll, I'll go back to the beginning. Um, it was a, a, a machined enclosure uh, that some uh, that the the chunk of plastic that was being machined had to be six inches thick. Hmm. You know, this is this is about four inches thicker than anything that I have ever machined. 18 inches wide and you know three and a half feet long it was a huge slab of plastic huge there were um local vendors um stateside who did just flat out no quote because of the size of the the raw material they were starting with but uh this supplier that i worked with um partners with one of the companies that that makes the the plastic itself so they were well set up to take sheets of this plastic and and chemically weld it together uh, into a very large, a very large chunk that they could then machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think the one set of these, of these uh, pressure, pressure vessel um, components was going to be $50,000 and uh, five weeks stateside. And um, through our network of uh, working with one of these multinational fabricating companies, um, I ended up getting three sets for the same price one week faster. Uh, and and as Doug said that you know the initial you know the initial prototypes 
came uh, from Taiwan, um, which was their kind of higher tech facility where they worked out the process for making the billets you know, in a reliable way because it was a pressure vessel. We couldn't just put an, put glue on there and hope it doesn't come apart. Uh, and they they worked out the, the fixturing to get down into some of the deep recesses, the deep, narrow recesses that were going to be challenging. And kind of once, once I had negotiated the final design uh, with a, with the engineers who were in contact with a Taiwanese facility, we could then copy and paste the process in the Mexico facility to shave even more money off of, off of the components. Wow, that's a that's a great story. You know, and and I was going to ask for for examples uh, as my next question, just examples of how this has worked in the real world. And it sounds like that's a that's a really fantastic example, Chuck. Uh, do you guys have any other favorite stories? That was Chuck. I think you said that was one of your favorite stories uh, to be able to tell. Do you guys have any other stories that you want to share, just about how this has has worked to the benefit um, in the long run, uh, th- this entire process? Well, I can definitely say one area in medical device. As soon as whether it be labware or to medical device, mm-hmm. uh, one of the first decisions to come around is cleanliness of the product and its testing. But if something is going in vitro and it needs to be sterilized or if there's things that way, then now you're layering on another layer of complexity to make sure that um, the, the whole supply chain is one with that because you have to have a controlled bio burden when you're getting the product to the sterilizer they have to know exactly what they're getting is incoming so that that adds a vector that we've done with a lot of customers of saying no this vendor that this other vendor is planning using does not have sufficient controls in place you know you're opening you know you would not not be comfortable going that way and so it's an area providing it uh i also mentioned uh we've had products go to market uh, that had you know something seemingly small, like the world's smallest O-ring developed for it and everything is fine. And then all of a sudden the customer calls and they've got some leaks and it turns out the vendor that they selected, they decided to increase the number of cavitations and go from six cavities to like 32 cavities on that O-ring. Oh, wow. And you had parting line differences, for example, on that in that example you know this was after we were done on design but naturally they come back and they're asking why is it not working now and you suddenly tease out that there's now more manufacturing variation uh and in this case there was parting line flash on the o-rings so technically one could argue the o-ring didn't meet print since we didn't allow that but it just wasn't something that was in our mindset because when we had finished it it was done on there and so that's another good lesson if you get brought back in in the real world is what has changed since the product was launched or since you went through prototype development on there a very simple story that makes makes me happy is this is this is the first time in my career that i've worked for an engineering services company you know i've worked for a lot of companies that manufactured their own stuff and one of the things that's really satisfying to see, it, you know, there's there's a bunch of customers who keep coming back. That you know we've done right by them before, and you know we they come back for new products. They come back and we fix help them fix a problem that like Doug was just talking about, where a vendor does a change and we help them figure out what went wrong and and why thing why things aren't working, and and we get the line back up again. And the thing that that is just super satisfying uh, about this job, it hasn't happened to me yet, 
but I know Doug was in the hospital with his mother who uh, was having a great deal of difficulty and the doctors and nurses wheeled in something that he himself had designed and, and made to help treat his mother and help her recover. Mm. So that, that might be a, a little bit off, off topic, but that's, that's, why, that's why we do what we do. We want to make the world a better, healthier place. It is nice to be a fly on the wall with your fingers crossed, hoping everything works well and seeing that that's a little bit beyond a formative or a summative test (laughs) being used for real. And the nurse and doctor don't know, you know, weed engineer or technical weed is six feet away watching um, on there and on a family member. So, yeah, that, that is a unique event. But it also shows in that case, I knew the whole supply chain well uh, on that, and I knew the partners. That that particular device Chuck is uh, referring to goes back to previous company I worked at before Sunrise. On there, uh, I hope all engineers have the have the opportunity to see their devices in use. But you know, it does come back again on there as we started this off. We're humble enough to know there are times for experts to be brought in to supplement us. And there's a lot of expertise at the entire supply chain who have been making devices and parts day in and day out. And we want to make sure in those DFM reviews early on that their voice is heard. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Man, that's a, that's a really, really powerful story. Um, uh, just about uh, Doug get, having that experience uh, in a hospital. That is uh, that is really an incredible example of uh, of just the work that you do. So, uh, guys, as we begin to, to wrap up this conversation today, it's been a fast, fascinating conversation and really, really good. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the reason for bringing in experts is to help empower the efforts of your team and maximize their efforts and, and what they're doing. So what are some of the keys to making that happen? For, for everybody across an entire project? I think the the humility that, that we're willing to say that there's things we need help on, is, you know, being open to changes, that, that that's critical. You know, we're good customers to a lot of these, these vendors and these contract manufacturers that, you know, if we take their advice, if we spend time working on the design, you know, we make sure that they get the, the purchase order. We have given a lot of these contract manufacturers that, that have some of the sophisticated capacities that, that our customers often need that, you know, we have given them business uh, in the past. And so, you know, they want to keep us happy. So, you know, that we often get bumped the, you know, if, if they're getting a bunch of calls from a, a bunch of people, we'll often get bumped the, the top of the list. And uh, it, it's also gone in reverse before. There's one contract manufacturer that we've used before um, that got us design work. That, you know, was working with a new customer. And I, I think that history and that, you know, um, being a good business partner. Um, and I think the really big thing is that with a lot of these these companies that we've talked about, you know, Sunrise has a history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's uh, not, not something that, you know, you, you can't just show up with a checkbook and, and expect to get you know, the exact same kind of consideration that, that I think we've earned with these people. Well said. And then as a complete counterpoint to uh, Doug's story about his mother, which I think is one of the most moving stories I, I've ever heard any engineer tell, I was sitting in a dentist's office and I was getting an x-ray done and there was a device used to help align the x-ray head to the, the sensor inside my mouth. And the hygienist was it was a device I had designed and the hygienist was using it wrong. And I attempted to explain to the hygienist the right way to use it. 
and I just got this nasty look. And she like shook her finger at me and said, I've been doing this for 10 years. Hold still. I went and got a new dentist uh, for my very next checkup. Nice story. What an incredible story. Oh, my goodness. It shows the training and things. And, and, and it also shows that your devices can often be used in ways you never envisioned. And that comes back to the whole risk analysis on everything. Uh, and everything. a lot of things our UCD team will bring to bear on making sure that the human factors and the ergonomics are right and that, the, you know, that it's intuitive to use. And, and, and those are areas um, uh, where it's nice that we have in-house uh, at Sunrise now. There was a day uh, years back when those were areas of expertise we reached out to. I, I think that's actually it's actually kind of think, uh, interesting because you know I, I told that story as as a bit of a joke, but um, I think it's interesting because you know the product isn't the chunk of plastic with the electronics inside. Mm-hmm. You know the the product is you know the manufacturer making it right. You know it being packaged so it's shipped you know shipped successfully and doesn't get damaged in transit. The the you know, human factors, user interface stuff that Doug was talking about. You know, can you can you read the display if it's something that needs to be used in a dark room? The training of the final operator, you know, which was clearly clearly something that broke down in the example I gave, and all of these things when you look at the holistic system. You know, uh, and you can even get into stuff like, you know, how do you uh, how do you eloquently handle RMAs when things go wrong? How do you how do you what is the the service you know the service manual look like? How serviceable is the is the device? You, there's a huge amount of work that goes into uh, you know a successful product, mm-hmm. uh, and and it would be very egotistical for you know any any you know any hundred person size company to say, oh, we can do everything. Uh, and, uh, but we know about all this other stuff and we can pull it in as we need. And as we said at the beginning of this, it's a global world. There's a lot of local expertise. We're blessed to have the local expertise that we have here in our contacts, but it is a global world and we reach out globally every day on there. The key is knowing when and how and how to integrate that together so that it all nicely dovetails together to bring the product to market. Well, fantastic stuff. I mean, yeah, you guys, I think, have done an incredible job explaining this today. Chuck Smith and Doug Brown. Guys, thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of Making Bright Ideas Work, a podcast by Sunrise Labs. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, lots of fun. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode of the program. We appreciate you joining us uh, today. Of course, stay tuned for more episodes of the podcast. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify for more. But for my guests today, Chuck and Doug, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for listening.